today is we're going to complete a sermon series called Hand-Me-Down Child Care that we've been in for a bit. And the big idea has been to get loved by God, the Father, and then turn around to hand off the love and care that He gives to us as His children. That's been my, my big idea. So, and what I've been doing is we've been working through the Lord's Prayer, just saying... With, with the understanding that in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus is teaching us how to relate to our Heavenly Father. He's not just giving us lines that are great ones to say for their own sake. He's not just telling us the magic words to open up heaven. He's saying, this is how you relate to God as your Father. This is how you can do it. And so we have been working through the Lord's Prayer, and we will conclude with the last two lines of the Lord's Prayer together, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. But I want to invite you to say this along with me. I'm going to read the entire Lord's Prayer, and as you want to, you can join with me in reading this out loud. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Father, I just thank you so much for this time together. Father, I thank you for your word that's true. And God, I pray that you would mix it with our faith. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, you'd be applying these truths to us. God, we need your help. And God, I need your help. Would you give me everything I need to be a faithful servant of your word? And would you be moving on our ears and on our minds to get what you're saying so that you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. I want to quickly just address two things from this text that are kind of um, need a little bit of talking about the word temptation there and the word evil. And they are going to be important. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to bless you with some Greek words this morning. Is everybody ready? I know that this is for most of you, the, your favorite part of any message is when you get to learn a Greek word. Am I right? Yeah. Come on. Thank you. Uh, the loudest one was the least sincere one. So that's a little bit disturbing. But other than that, we're just going to, we're going to go with the plan and roll from there. So, say this after me. Perasmon. Perasmon, okay? The word pay and then ras, which isn't an English word, so you're out of luck there. And then mon, which is when you're down in Jamaica, how you address people, okay? So, perasmon. One more time. Perasmon. Okay, so that word means testing or temptation. In English, we have the word testing and we have the word temptation. In Greek, they only have one word, so you kind of have to figure out what they're talking about. When we have a test in English, usually the point of the test is some kind of opportunity to show what you can do. Is that right? So you're trying to get your driver's license, you go for a driver's test, and unless you're with a real crankpot, the driving instructor really wants you to pass it, right? Like they don't get anything out of flunking you on that. So the test is there so that you can succeed or find out something that's missing, correct? You're working with me here, which is different than a temptation. A temptation is usually when the person you're with wants you to fail. True? So somebody's tempting you, 
eat the brownie. You're like, I don't want to eat the brownie. Eat the brownie. They want you to fail. And so a big part of this is what are the motivations surrounding the situation? Another way of looking at this is that a testing is an opportunity to succeed and a temptation is an opportunity to fail. Okay, so as Christians, this is a way when we're reading through scripture, um, we can be thinking about this. When I have a test of my faith, God wants me to pass it. I'm supposed to look to him, trust in him, look for wisdom, walk it out. God wants me to win. A temptation when it comes is an opportunity to fail where the enemy wants to get us to unbelieve and do things that are self-destructive or sinful and have things turn out bad. All right? So when you come to a perasmon here, we're not praying that God would lead us out of testings. There are going to be testings in life. There's nothing you can do to avoid situations where you need to make choices based on faith. That is an impossible prayer. But what we can do is pray that God would not lead us into temptation. He would, not, he would rescue us from situations where we're set up for failure. Amen? And this is part of this prayer. God, save me from situations where I am going to just blow it. Give me the victory lead me out of this. The other word that I want to talk to you about is um, the word evil there. So take two on Greek lessons. I'm sure you'll do well. This is a test, not a temptation. I want you to succeed. Everybody say perasmos. Sorry, no, no, poneros, poneros. Sorry, totally different. Pawn, which is what you do when you don't have money, but you have some stuff that you're not watching anymore, some old DVDs. Pawn, A, as in like when you're asking a question in Canada, and then Ross, that guy from Friends that nobody liked. Okay, so Pawn A Ross. One, two, three, Pawn A Ross. Okay, very good. And that means evil. And the trick with this one is that um, it can either be used to describe something to say that it's evil, like you had an evil day or that was an evil person, but when it's on its own, it can also be used as another way of referring to Satan. So the evil one is how you would translate it. And people disagree about whether or not when we're praying this, we're talking about rescue us from evil in general or we're rescue us from the evil one in specific. And so you will find different translations doing different things here. Okay, so there's a difference between these two things and I'm going to unpack that a little bit. And I want to advocate for reading this as a prayer that God would rescue us from Satan. God would rescue us from the will of the evil one in our life. Okay, so can I address this next? Uh, It's not a bad thing to think that to pray for deliverance from evil. And if you're doing this, typically what people are doing is they're in a situation where things are bad. Maybe they're having a health scare. Maybe that somebody is out to get them. They've decided they don't like your face. And since there's nothing you can do about that, they're just giving you a hard time and you're praying, God, rescue me from this bad situation. That would be a way of saying, deliver me from evil. Rescue me from this bad situation. And the good news is, is that this is a fine prayer to pray. You know, somewhere between a third and a half of all the Psalms have rescue me from this bad situation or rescue me from these bad people in there. And it reminds me of 2 Timothy 4.18 where the Apostle Paul is saying at the end of his life, he's about to die. He's expecting to have his head cut off after he testifies to Caesar about Jesus. He says, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So here he is at the end of his life on his last letter saying, my confidence is that God is going 
going to rescue me from every evil deed. There have been people hating me and trying to kill me for a long, long, long time yet, and God has not let them get away with it. Now that I expect that He wants me to come home, my time on earth is done, my mission is, com- is complete, I'm expecting for God to let them a little bit have their way with me, but this is actually a rescue because as soon as they cut off my head, I get to go be with Jesus, which is better by far, and they can't do anything bad to me ever again. And so I'm not trying to say, don't ever pray that God will rescue you from bad situations. But in the context, um, I think that what we're looking at here is Jesus is thinking about a specific person, namely Satan. And why do I think that? Well, because these two lines go together. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So I'm disagreeing with the ESV here. And so I'm seeing these things as working together. The evil one works in our lives by bringing temptations. He wants to work situations and thoughts and beliefs into our hearts so that we will fail in our service to God or we will choose to sin and be disobedient to God. So this is what I, the reason I think that this is more to do with Satan specifically is because it pairs up with temptation. Okay. Having, uh, a car drive over your toe isn't a te- temptation. It's not good. That be, could be like an evil thing you try to pray your way out of. Having somebody not like you at work and want to do you harm because you're a Christian isn't a temptation. There could be temptations that come out of that. It's a bad situation, but it isn't a temptation. A temptation is when you're being per- attempt. Someone's trying to attempt to persuade you to be disobedient to God. And so this is why I think in mind here, Jesus is probably thinking we should be praying, God, rescue me from Satan's will for my life. If you're going to summarize this, God, rescue me from Satan's will for my life. And if this is true, then there's something really interesting going on in the Lord's Prayer. I want your attention for this. This is really important. The Lord's Prayer starts off with this. Hey, Dad, rescue me from my old dad. Hey, Dad, by honoring your name in my life, by sending your kingdom upon me, by being my trust for daily bread, for forgiving me and teaching me how to forgive, rescue me from my old dad, who still wants to be my dad now. The evil one still wants to tell me how to live, how to think, what to do, be the influencer in my life. I don't want that. I want to get out of the temptations of how he talks to me. So, Dad, rescue me from my old dad. I think that's what's going on here. And the Bible does say that there are two spiritual fathers in this world. They're not equal fathers by any means, not in power or wisdom or might or influence. But when Jesus was on this earth in the gospel of John, which is the gospel most obsessed with the fatherhood of God, Jesus is talking with his opponents who are rejecting him. And he says, "Um, the reason you guys are rejecting me is because you're being like your father. And then he says, the devil's been a murderer since the beginning. And they get really offended because he's telling them that their father is the devil. And they say, no, he isn't. And we're going to prove it by trying to kill you. So he says to them, your dad is the devil and your dad is a murderer and he's always been trying to do that. And they say, no, he's not. We're not the devil's children and we'll prove it by trying to kill you. Which seems like the worst way you could try to prove to somebody that the devil's not your dad. 
when Jesus says, your dad likes to murder and you're just like him. Shut up, I'll kill you over saying that. This does not make sense. Which is also what happens when the devil is your dad is you live in a way that just does not make any sense. So, here's the truth. Let's just press pause on this for a second. The God of this universe is rescuing people from sin. Every single human being is broken. We've come to believe a lie about God. We're bent in our hearts because of sin, and we go on sinning in our life until we come to God through Jesus Christ. And what God did was he sent Jesus to die for our sins so that every guilt we have towards God, every barrier there is keeping us from God is dealt with by the shed blood of Jesus. And then God raised Jesus from the dead so that he is alive and working and rescuing people so that everybody who comes to faith in Jesus and says, my life is a mess. I don't want to do it anymore. I give you my life. I believe that you are the son of God raised from the dead and I give you who I am. He says, you're forgiven. I receive you, and my dad adopts you. That's the gospel. That's the good news. When we come to Jesus, we get a new dad. And one of the things our new dad wants to do is teach us how to say to the old dad and not go to our old home and not live like our old family culture. And this is what we've been talking about in this sermon series, how to, have, how to live with your new dad inviting him into everything by calling on his kingdom to come, trusting for him to provide for you when you think he can't by praying for daily bread every day and getting out of the whole insane merry-go-round of of, uh, criticism, attacking, offense, and bitterness by forgiving as God forgives us and by inviting your dad to beat up your old dad and to rescue you from him. That's what I'm talking about this morning. Now, this is the truth, I think. There's two things that come out of this. When you've got a new dad in God through Jesus Christ, and you start asking him to rescue you from your old dad, two things happen. Number one is he starts doing things you will never know that he did. He rules over your life, and there are situations where God will just say, that's not going to happen. The devil will come to heaven and say, I got this plan for so-and-so and I'm going to really mess him up. And you know, like Job, where you let me have my way with them or what you did with Peter, where I got to take a run at him. I want to do that again today. And God just says, nope, not today, not going to happen. No way, no how, shut you down. And God just says no to the devil because we belong to Jesus and we belong to God and we're not actually um, the free run of the forces of darkness anymore. We belong to God. And so when we pray, God, deliver me, lead me not to temptation, but deliver me from the evil one, there are things that we will just not go through. The problem with that is that we don't know that we didn't go through it. And so we don't thank God. And we don't build up our trust in Him. I know it's a weird thought, but if God is in charge of your life, there are a lot of things that haven't happened to you that could have. And you may be able to think of some disasters that didn't happen, some relationships that died before they got started, and then you find out what that person was really like later, and you're like, oh my goodness, I'm glad I never ended up in there. Or a relationship that did start that led you into a new path, and you didn't know what was going to happen if you never met that person who brought Jesus into your life. 
And so there's so many things that God has spared us for as, from as a loving father that we just don't know how to thank him for because he, he delivered us from it. Amen? So I'm just... You know, I just... And I, just a for instance, sometimes you come close to finding out what, how bad things could have been. When I was a kid, um, I was in a car with my brother. My mom had gone to go and look at a house that was being built, and we were in Whistler. I don't know if you've ever been to Whistler, but it's all mountains. That's why they hosted the Olympics there a few years ago. It's a lot of ski hills, a lot of mountains. And when you're at ski hill mountains, are those like long, sloping Saskatchewan hills? No, they're kind of a bit steep and rocky. Anyhow, for somehow my twin brother, who was in the front seat of the car, and this was back in the 80s when they didn't have laws and stuff like that, he, he managed to get the car out of park and so that it started rolling down the really steep street because the street was built on a mountain. And then somehow the car turned and went off the street down the side of a mountain. It wasn't a direct plummet, but it was really steep. And we would play on that hill for a long time after that, and it was really steep. It was like the kind, you know when you're going down a really steep hill and you're like bounding down it because you, you can't walk straightward. You have to like kind of go sideways down the hill. That's how steep it was. So we went, I don't know, halfway, three quarters of the way down this thing until the car hit a tree head on and the bumper of the car disappeared. It was replaced by a tree. And the back window of the car exploded. And I was in the back seat. And again, there weren't any laws back in the 1980s. And so I was unbuckled. And so I remember just bouncing around inside the back of the car. And it was probably really good that I wasn't buckled because then I would have just absorbed all that impact. And I would have been had a shower of glass come down on top of me. But instead, I just bounced around. So my brother and I went down the side of a mountain in a car. And we both just walked away from it as kids. Which in hindsight, you think that doesn't usually happen. That's not supposed to happen. And if the car had gone sideways and flipped and rolled, we would have been dead. Or if the car hadn't hit the tree that it hit and maybe had gone farther down the hill, we would have been dead. Um, there was a the bonfire of building materials at the bottom of the street. So if we hadn't turned off the street and had kept going down the street and gone off the other side of the road, we would have gone into a pile of burning two-by-fours. So this is just one story. All I'm trying to say is you and I have no idea how many things that our Father has delivered us from. Even in the midst of hard life today, if, if God shows us the YouTube channel of our life later on and kind of presses unpause on the, uh, the invisibility factor of his angels and stuff like that, we'll probably be like, oh, oh, no way, oh. And I responded like that, I'm so sorry. On the other hand, and this is what I want to focus on today, um, I am convinced that one of the ways that God delivers us from the evil one when he comes to tempt is by building up our Christian character so that we learn to fight against him and say no to him. Whether that means no and I'm out of here or no and I'm not leaving here. If you know what, there's a difference sometimes. No, Satan, I'm not running. And no, Satan, I'm not staying. I'm getting out of here. You know, one's a Joseph story, the other one's a Moses story. Moses at the side of the Red Sea, I'm not leaving, I'm not, the, the army's trying to kill me, but I'm not going anywhere, I'm waiting for God to deliver. And Joseph, Potiphar's wife, hey baby, I'm out of here, you know. Um, Genesis chapter 32 or something like that. 36, 37? Somebody's going to help me out. Anyhow. One of the ways that God delivers us from the evil one is just by growing our Christian character. 
we begin to believe the truth more, trust in our God more, expose the lies that we believe more, so that we stand our ground more. Amen? And this, we need to know this, because sometimes we'll be, we'll be all praying and praying, praying, God, deliver me from this, deliver me from this, and we're making the same choices over and over and over again. We're like, God, you're messing up my life. Why don't you deliver me from this? And he's like, I am trying to teach you how to not do this. So I'm not going to remove this circumstance, because instead I want you to make different choices out of faith in my son, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit and in fellowship with brothers and sisters in the Lord. And so we can get really frustrated that things don't change because God wants us to change, not our circumstances to change. And we don't want to change. We want the circumstances to change. And so we get all in a a tizzy and a tuffle, if those are words. And so part of growing as God's children is realizing this. One of the things we're going to do is God is going to Deliver us from Satan by teaching us how to not be deceived or outwitted by him, but believe the truth and stand our ground. Amen? So what I want to do to help us grow in this area is to have an anatomy of temptation based on Genesis chapter 3. An anatomy of temptation. This is, what do I mean by that? This is how temptation works. I'm going to show you how temptation works from Scripture And you'll probably start to see some instances of your life and have some of those oh no moments. He's talking about me moments. I'm not talking about anybody here except for myself. I I just, just as a disclaimer, um, in my life, I have been an expert at being deceived by temptations up until this morning. From this morning on, no more. I'm done. But I I have fallen for everything in my life, one way or the other. And so... If you feel stung, well, welcome to my club. You and I can commiserate about um, the things we've done that we wished we never did. However, the way forward for all of us is to trust in the Lord and to learn to win the battles that God has given us to fight. There is a reason why God has given us an armor in the end of chapters, or that in chapter 6 of Ephesians. There is a reason he's given us armor. It's so that we can fight. We can stand our ground. And having done everything to continue to stand... And so we're going to learn how the devil tempts people from Genesis chapter 3 so that we can learn how to win. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Remember God had put the man and the woman in paradise and said you can eat everything here except for from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the serpent says, does God really say that? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. Good so far. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden. That's a little bit off because the tree of life was the one in the middle of it. Neither shall you touch it. That's not true. Lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. Notice him contradict the word of God. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. That's a half-truth. So when the woman saw that the tree was, number one, good for food, and that it was, number two, a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was also to be desired to, number three, make one wise, she took its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who, ate, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, 
and they sewed fig, fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And it goes in from there as God shows up to address the situation. And so I want to just draw some lessons out of this for us so that we can be wise sons and daughters of God, praying that God would deliver us, knowing that that deliverance will often come through us winning where we used to lose. Number one, temptation is always about God's word. Is God true? And is God's word true? So sometimes, you know, if you're out at a restaurant or something like that, or you're McDonald's, I'll take it down to McDonald's because, you know, there you go. And you've already ordered the Big Mac and you've already had the fries and you've already stolen your kids' sweet and sour sauce that they got with their chicken nuggets to dip your fries into because that's the best. And you're like, now I want some pies because you're looking over and the screen and, the, and you, your mind forgets that those pies are absolutely soaked in grease. So much so that if you hold a napkin up to the pie, the napkin becomes invisible. And you're like, where'd that napkin go? <laughs> and you say, I'm feeling tempted by those apple pies. And they always sell it in twos, which is like a selling factory. It's like, I, I, well, it cost a buck eighty, but there's two. So you say, I'm being tempted. That's not a real temptation. Okay? Because I don't really think that most of the time, unless you have some really bad dietary problem or something like that, that God cares too much about the apple pies. That's a matter maybe of wisdom. But God has never said, you shall not eat the apple pies at Mickey D's. So when you want to eat them, yeah, it would be funny to see Mickey D's in the Bible. It would be like, is that Hebrew? Yes, it is. Do you hear the difference? There's such a big difference between when we say, I'm being really tempted by that chocolate cake. And God having said, don't eat the fruit from that tree, and Satan coming along and saying, you should eat the fruit from that tree. So for us, real temptation always has to do with God's word, whether or not we're being led to disobey God's word or contradict God's word. And underneath this, it's not just a legalism thing, underneath this is, is God faithful? Because when God speaks, it is it 100% just his character coming out. He's not like us where we can say things we don't mean, he always means exactly what he says and says what he means so that when he speaks, his character every time is on the line. And so temptation comes when, one of two ways. We're in a situation where we need God to be faithful to us and Satan says, you know, God is going to forsake you and leave you. And God says, I will never forsake you or leave you. He says that. I will never leave you or forsake you. That's a promise to every one of his children and daughter. And Satan comes along and says, that's not true. God, God forsakes people all the time. And you're next. So you need to take care of you. Whatever you got to do, you take care of you because you can't trust his word. So that's a promise that Satan comes along and contradicts. Or sometimes a boundary, a good boundary. Like, don't be unforgiving. And Satan comes along and says, I know I'm training it backwards. You got to forgive. And Satan says, you don't have to do that. You can be unforgiving and get away with it. It'll be okay. In fact, you have a right to. In fact, it would be unjust for you to forgive because of what, what all this situation was. And in, in the heart of it, the issue is always this. Is God true? And is his word trustworthy? And that's why Satan started there. When he came to talk to the woman, he didn't say, so, hey... Nice weather we're having here. Getting a good bumper crop of corn coming out. Of the, she's like, corn? That corn doesn't grow on trees. We only got tree fruit here. 
It starts off, hey, did God really say not to eat from that tree? Did God really say that? And she's, she's all, she gets off the thing right away. So for us, this is just wisdom. We really need to know, for us, the temptation is always this. Will God be true to his word? For good or bad? And winning looks like us saying, I believe God's word, therefore I'm going to respond like this. Being God's son or daughter is growing and learning how to trust God's word when it looks like there's no other reason to obey it besides that God said it and doing it anyways. That's beating the temptation. And then after we have this tussling about God's word where the snake essentially just eventually just says, you know what, it's not true what God said, that you'll die if you eat that true. It's not true. It's not true. I did a word study. I've been to Harvard. Did some ancient Near East cultural background. It's just not true. What's going to happen to you? And uh, so they get to that place, and then we, the scripture lets us know the inner workings of what's going on in Eve's mind when she flips over from, I'm not going to eat that fruit, to I am going to eat that fruit. And it exposes three things, that she believes that the fruit is good for food, that she believes that the fruit is delightful to the eye, and she believes that the fruit will make her wise and like God. And so what we, we, see, we see the ways we're going to be tempted. How are we going to be tempted to believe that God's word is not true and that the God who gave us these words is not trustworthy? Number one, we're going to be tempted to satisfy a good appetite in an unlawful way. Okay, so we're creatures, we need things. You need food, you need water. But beyond that, we're made in God's image, so we need relationship, we need intimacy, we need security, we need protection. We have all kinds of needs, don't we? And the temptation is always going to be this. You can meet these needs apart from obeying God. And when it looks like God is not going to meet your need, then just go for it anyways, because you need to take care of you. Right? Has anybody ever done this before? I'm lonely, therefore I'm going to do this, even though it's a sin. I'm hungry, so I'm going to do this, even though it might not be a good thing, and it's dinner in 15 minutes, and that's not going to bless my wife who's been working all day on the roast beef, and so if I'm full of peanut butter sandwiches right before I eat dinner, that is not going to be a relationally good thing. So not quite a sin, but just that's not smart. Can you think of any God-given appetites that people have nowadays that they insist on satisfying in ways that are not biblical? That's the temptation. I have this desire. I want to satisfy it in this way. Therefore, it must be good. God says, no, I, I tell you what's good and bad. I tell you how to live. This is, I tell you the right and wrong. And I can meet your needs. You have to trust me. The second thing that happened was she saw that the fruit was a delight to the eye. So it was beautiful. It looked like a really ripe mango, not one of those weird dragon fruits, you know, that are all spiky and look like if you open it up, a real dragon will pop out of there and bite you in the neck with its poison fangs. It's a beautiful fruit. So it's beautiful. And this is really interesting 
there's a lot of irony running around in this um, situation. What do I mean by irony? I mean it's like there's so- things that don't make sense. Okay, so she wants to eat the fruit because it's good for food. But at the same time, she's in paradise where every tree is good for food. So there's nothing about that tree that means she has to eat it for food. Like, there's mangoes. For goodness sake, if we could live off of mangoes, there's mangoes right over there. Put that fruit down and go get some real to eat. There's mangoes, for goodness sake. Like, you can stay away from the kumquats or whatever you want because I'm sure those things are kind of like fallen oranges or whatever it is. They're just not okay. But there's probably mangoes right there, and she could have eaten from the tree of life, for goodness sakes. The fruit was just a few feet away from her. So she's tempted to eat the fruit by something that God can give her other ways. And then it's a delight to the eye. So it's beautiful. And so it's, it's attractive. And part of what goes on here is that the way people work is that we want to become one with things that are glorious or beautiful. It's, it's because we're wired for worship. We're meant to see God and be like, He is glorious. I want to be with Him. I want to be one with Him. I want to be united with God, which is the gospel, right? You see the glory of God in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you cannot live without Him anymore. You say, I will lose my sin and good stuff too, even my family, if I have to. I want to be one with this God forever because He's beautiful. That's how we work. We see things that are beautiful and glorious and we want to be one with them. And so here's Eve looking at this fruit and she says, this is some nice fruit. I want to eat it. Now the crazy thing about this, this scenario here is if you think about it, what is the most delightful to the eye thing in the world at this point? If you've been in the first service, don't say anything. What is the most beautiful, glorious thing in creation at this point? Eve. She is the best thing ever made. If you read through chapter 2, Adam's there, he's great, he's fine, he's naming things, he's working the garden, probably a little bit hairy, and probably smells a bit ripe in the afternoon, but he's okay. But the world is not okay because Adam can't do his job of having a great big family and filling the earth, and so God makes a woman out of his rib, and when she wakes up, and when he wakes up, he sings a song over her, finally the best thing ever has happened, and the world goes from the state of not good to finally completed and good. Eve is the most beautiful, glorious thing ever made, and Adam sang the song to prove it. And here she is going, wow, this is a pretty fruit. That's just crazy. But that's the nature of sin. Sin doesn't make sense. Sin is crazy. You're always dumber for having sinned. Yeah, like, trust me, voice of experience here. I could write a book. Maybe I will. Now, let's bring this to our own culture. Um, We are pretty good at making things look beautiful in North America, aren't we? And especially things like the movies. Okay, Nobody's going to pay $11 for a ticket and $52 for popcorn to watch something ugly in a theater. Am I I right? We sit down and we're like, here's my eyeballs, show me the glory. And because of that, we can get trained to believe so many things by the pretty people with the great-sounding words in the media that we imbibe. It's just, every time you sit down to watch a show, you're going to church. This is the reality of it. 
They're going to preach to you a worldview. They might have dancing girls. They might not have dancing girls. There's good guys. There's bad guys. There's a solution to the problem that often involves blaster fires and launching the proton torpedoes down the exhaust shaft into the Death Star. Kaplow! But when you're listening to stories with good guys and bad guys and heroes and heroines and problems solved and they all have relationships and how the men and the women treat each other in the 90 minutes they have to meet and hook up and break up and re-hook up and then live happily ever after, they're presenting to you a worldview that looks so good and is often full of lies and full of death. Just like that fruit. And so one of the things, you know, speaking of handing on, learning how to walk with God, that I think it's really great to do is as adults, we, we um, help make fun of movies and help our kids learn how to make fun of movies, learn how to mock movies. It's true. Anybody want a little example of how you do something like this? So I finally watched the latest Star Wars that came out after resisting the dark side for many, many, many months. We finally watched it, gave it a shot, and it was a beautiful movie. Okay, the CGI was great. The acting was great compared to the last three that came out. And, um, and it, was, it was actually an entertaining story. So it was a Hollywood success. I'm sure they'll make a billion dollars, which is what, how many dollars Manitoba has in its budget every year or something like that, like one movie. That's kind of weird. However... That movie deserves some mockery. And I'll just pick one. The main character is this lady who has been orphaned from her parents, her mom killed, and her dad gone for 15 years. And as she sees her dad, before she gets a chance to say hello to him, the main guy, after almost assassinating him, with a, a, like a long-range blaster, I don't even know how, how that works, his buddies do a bombing run and blow up her dad so that she has enough time to say goodbye while he dies in her arms. And like an hour later in the movie and two, minute, two days later, something like this, three days later in Star Wars time, they're kissing on a beach while the world blows up. And it's just like, human beings do not work like that. If you're the kind of person that somebody can blow up your dad after you haven't seen him for 15 years, and then the next day you're making out with him, there is something really, 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 really wrong. Really, really wrong. And I, the last thing I want to do is sit down with a couple who's thinking about getting married, and, say, and I say, when did you guys meet? Well, we knew we were right for each other. Right after my boyfriend's gang killed my dad. It's like two days after my boyfriend's gang killed my dad. And then there was this beautiful sunset as the earth peeled upwards towards us. <laughs> And everything was just right. And I leaned in. And he leaned in. It's so wrong. But the problem is that in Hollywood, if you're not kissing, there's something missing. That's the theology of Hollywood. If you're not making out, you need to scream and shout. If there's something about Hollywood where you need to schmooch while the world is blowing up. Which is part of why it is so hard to be single in our culture and as a Christian. Hollywood keeps saying, even if you're saving the universe, you need to make out with somebody before the credits roll or else your life is a waste. But I saved the universe. Doesn't matter. 
you've got to make out with the guy who blew up your dad or else this is a bad movie and we won't sell tickets. So that needs to be made fun of and you need to teach your kids how to make fun of stuff like that in movies so that the things that appear to be beautiful we get to expose. It's not as pretty as it looks. Amen? Some of you aren't going to amen to that one, but you know, go home, listen to the sermon again. It'll sink in. You'll get it. And the third thing was the promise that through gaining wisdom by eating the fruit, they would become like gods. Now, here's the irony again. Who are the only two people on the planet who are made in God's image? That's right. Eve was already like God. She was as like God as you get. I didn't make that up. But it was right there to see. Hey, you, image of God, eat this fruit. You'll get to become the image of God. Just forget that part. Eat the fruit, eat the fruit. It just does not make sense. However, as people in general and fallen people in particular, we want to feel like we're the smart ones. We want to feel like we're on the cutting edge. We want to feel like we're getting better than other people. We want to feel like we're the best church in town. We want to feel like we're the best family in town. We want to feel like we're the best guy at the men's group. We want to feel like we're doing best and at least there's somebody worse than us. And so if I have to eat the fruit so that I'm smarter than God, I will eat the fruit because I need to be among the best. Even though, as a son of God or as a daughter of God, there isn't actually much that can happen to you to make you any more glorious, honorable, or holy than you already are. Even if you just clean toilets for the rest of your life. Hello? It's a gift. The consequences of falling for these kinds of deceptions, before I go on a little farther, this is the thing about being deceived, is it always feels good. Nobody gets deceived because they're expecting to look like an idiot soon. I just can't wait to drive my car into a bunch of pumpkins because I can only do good things to my car. Oh, wait. Right? If you get tricked into believing a falsehood about God, if you get tricked into sinning, nobody goes into it because they think, this is going to work out badly for me. And so there's this thing about the call to walk in humility. This is why humility is so important to us as we're Bible readers, as we're following with God. When we start to feel like we're really great and we're the ones, and now it's finally happening, now we're going to make it happen, there's probably some fruit in our mouth that doesn't belong there. That's part of why it's really good to have sermons that make you feel really uncomfortable. Because if you walked out of here for six months feeling just great about yourself every day, I'm probably snowballing you. You're taking a drink from the fire hose. And I do feel like I've earned that one. I don't think I get two days feeling good about Robert Balfour. Maybe one. My birthday was pretty good. But after that, it's been pretty bad. And that's God's mercy to me. I am not God. I am not God. I am not God. It is my glory to believe God and to obey God, but I am not God, and I'm not nearly as smart as God, so how about I just do what he says? 
okay, some of the consequences of the deception and the reason why we need God's help to get out of temptation and we can't do it alone, the reason we need to pray for God to teach us how to be delivered from the evil one is that as soon as Adam and Eve ate the fruit and they they welcomed misbelief in God and unbelief in God and all this stuff started happening. One of the first things that we see happened in their souls is it became impossible, or not possible, I don't know if it was or wasn't, they stopped being able to take responsibility for what happened. So what happened was, you know, God shows up, and I'll just summarize it, and he asks Adam, he says, so Adam, why are you hiding in the bushes? God shows up, they, they hide, they got the fig leaves on, and they hide in the bushes, and God's calling for Adam. Where are you? He knows where Adam is. He just wants him to come out of the bushes. You may feel like God is calling you right now. Maybe you're hiding in the bushes right now. God is calling you. He knows where you are. He knows what's happened in your life. He knows what you need. He knows how to help, but you have to come out of the bushes and stand into the light. And he calls Adam out of the, out of the bushes, and Adam comes out, and he says, why did you hide? And he says, we hid because we were naked and we heard you coming. God says, how did you know you were naked? Did you eat from that tree? And Adam's response is priceless. He says, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. So God says, Adam, did you eat? And he says, Actually, the woman, let's start there, let's start there, that you and he probably said it like that, you, he probably had his head going side, I can't make my head go sideways like some gals can, but they, that you, mm-mm, that you, you gave me that woman, you gave me a bad woman, you know, yeah, that woman that you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit, and I ate it, but she kind of forced it on me, and I don't know if you've seen her, but she's pretty beautiful, so you don't say no to something like that. He's blaming other people, he can't take responsibility, he's excusing, he's blaming He's twisting the truth. He's talking like the devil himself who twists the truth. And uh, this is really important for us to see this because this is going to be one of the main temptations in our culture and in our life and our children's life. Are we going to tell the truth about who we are, how we feel, what we've done, what we've been through? Are we going to be people who own what we've been doing or not? to bring it to God or not. Life under our old dad, old dad says, you don't ever have to tell anybody anything. Whatever you think you need to tell somebody to get out of that situation or get what you want, you go ahead. If it's half true, that's even better because it might stand up in a court of law a bit bit more. But you use your mouth however you need to use your mouth to get what you want or to get out of where you need to get out of. Whatever you do, don't just tell the whole truth and trust God with the consequences. And so Adam welcomed into us this whole culture of blame-shifting and truth-bending. And this is a huge part of our culture in North America. We do this. We set up situations where people do not have to take responsibility for their lives or what they've done. Um, I was re- I've been reading this book by this uh, London doctor, doctor in London, and part of his practice is that twice a week he goes into prisons to be the doctor for prisoners, okay? So he's, he, he's admitting, I don't meet with everybody in England, but this is my, my, my mission field here. I, I work with people who are always at the bottom of the barrel. 
And he's trying to share some of the stuff he sees that he thinks are the major contributors to people not changing, people not getting out of it, people being stuck from bad to worse to bad to worse to bad to worse. And he's, and he's saying one of the, the main things I see just from observing is that the people who keep coming back to prison, have, are, it's almost impossible for them just to say, I did it, and owning the consequences and the responsibility for it. So he's saying, this is a typical day for me. I'm meeting with a guy who um, steals VCRs and he's back in jail for stealing VCRs again. And he sits down with me and he says, Doc, I just can't figure it out. Why do I keep stealing VCRs? Like, you have to tell me. And the doctor says to him, just to try to pin the point on it, he says, maybe it's because you're selfish and lazy and greedy. That's the response. Which, of course, are all true, right? They're all, <laughs> you take someone else's stuff. It's not from the overflow of love of your heart. And the guy looks at him and he says, are you sure it doesn't have anything to do with my childhood? Like, that's what he's been taught right away. I had a bad childhood, so that VCR is mine. And the doctor says to him, I don't think so. And in the book, he says, I actually do think life is more complicated than that. I just didn't want to let him off the hook. And he says, the guy looks at him like, you're crazy. Another guy came and sat with him who is in jail again for beating people up and, and sits down with him and essentially says to him, you need to figure out why I keep doing this because if you don't, I'm going to beat more people up. And so you need to give me a drug or some kind of therapy to stop me from doing this because I'm committed. I just go crazy. I can't think anymore. I lose it. I'm out of control. And so one of the, he's just saying that, I don't know if most of these guys are Christian or not. He's just saying, my experience is that in our culture, there are certain people who we say, you never have to take responsibility for your life. You, you've got every excuse, you know, God's not for you. People aren't for you. The system's against you. You never had enough money. You never had enough education. You never had a never, 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 never. You can just, you know, and if somebody can't make a pill to make you stop, then. And that's just Adam. And that's just the evil one. And the thing that, that galls me about this is that if we think like this, what we're saying is if you're poor, you're not a human being. Because real people can meet God and change. But if you don't have enough money or you didn't get enough education, you're just like some wild boar and we should just chain you up because there's, there's nothing that can help you. But if we're actually sons and daughters of God, if we're actually sons and daughters of God, then the way to get free is to start telling the truth about what's going on and to surrender ourselves to God and say, save me and teach me how to walk this out and to forget about this blame-shifting stuff. This is God's attitude about blame-shifting. Um, there was a time in... Israel's history where they were sent into exile. They'd sinned for a long, long time. God says, you're out of the land, send them off to Babylon. And the people there started to form this proverb about blame your parents, okay? So they were forming this proverb. They said, the parents, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set in edge. So mom and dad, they sinned, they got us kicked out of Israel, and now here we are stuck. And what are we going to do? And God talks to them through, through Ezekiel and he says in chapter 18, 
the word of the Lord came to me. What do you mean by repeating this proverb concerning the land of Israel? The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. He says, as I live, declares the Lord, this proverb shall no more be used by you in Israel. Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the father as well as the soul of the son is mine. The soul who sins shall die. And this is what God is doing. He's saying, I hear you doing the fig leaf thing. I hear you saying, I can't follow God because this person and that person and this thing and this experience and I can't do it and I can't succeed. And God says, no, every person is mine. You're mine, they're mine, and I can do justice. Are you going to walk with me or not? Nobody here has had a past so bad that you cannot walk with God period. And this is not about your past or your hurt. It's some of you might have terrible, terrible, horrible, horrible things happening. I'm not taking that away. I'm just telling you, your heavenly father is so big and so strong and so good and wants you so bad that there are no, no longer any excuses for walking with him. He has slain his son and raised him from the dead. Christian, you can change. And one of the ways we change is we get rid of these thinkings. We get rid of these lies. We get rid of these deceptions. Amen? So let me just add, as we're looking at ways to like love our kids the way God loves us and to help them get delivered from the evil one the way God wants to do that with us, one of the great things we can do with our kids is just be really listening for the truth and that they're always telling the truth. It's not easy, right? It's not always easy to tell the truth. That's true. That guy's agreeing with me. It's not easy. You never, I've said this before, you never have to teach a kid how to lie. It's not like when you say, hey, if, if I asked you if you put your socks away and you didn't, I want you to say this. Yes. That's called lying. Try it out. Okay, you didn't do it very well because you said yes and you shook your head no while you said yes so that's not you're not snowballing me the way I want you to. This is how you lie. You've got to practice doing it like you never have to do that. But it's a lot of work to be listening, telling the truth and listening for the truth. And we don't have to jump on anybody, but just keep asking the question, is that the whole truth? Is that the whole truth? If Jesus were watching you, what would he have seen? You know, you get that second person, is that the whole truth? Is that the whole truth? Are you telling the truth? Are you telling the truth? Because if we don't have the truth, we don't have anything. Amen? So I'll stop there. God, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for this this promise you have that you want to deliver us from the evil one. And thank you that part of how you want to do it is you want to change our hearts to be truth tellers and people who take responsibility for ourselves in your presence. Lord, we can acknowledge that we've got all kinds of paths, but in your presence, the bad things that have happened to us or that we have done become glorious praise as you forgive us and then turn us around to serve you and to do good where we used to do evil. God, there is so much hope in you. When you're our dad, anything's possible. I pray that you would just move powerfully in our minds, setting us free in Jesus' name. Amen.